I'm going to read from there, so at the end of the psalm, into the next psalm, Psalm 63, because both of these psalms have been arranged together for a purpose. They're both written by King David. Uh, I just have to say that at one stage during my sermon, I'm going to be playing a video which is violent. It's got violent content in it. So if there's any small children, I suggest you take them out. Um, the rest of you can look forward to that part of the entertainment. <laughs> right. Um, Psalm 62, verse 11. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Let me go on to Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. As you can imagine, being a pastor, I, I get involved with marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling from time to time. And what I've discovered is that when you're preparing a couple for marriage, there are a few essential principles or truths that need to be taught. And those few principles will have a great impact on the success of their marriage. For example, um, rule number one, this is for men, always put the toilet seat down after you've used the toilet. <laughs> I, I, tried, I tried using reason and logic with Gail, and it didn't work. You know, like I said to her, if I use the toilet, I have to put the seat up, then I have to put it down. Why not say that I leave it up and then you put it down when you want to use it and then I, and that way we share the load. <laughs> it didn't work. I don't know if you realize that you can actually slam the toilet seat down so hard that it bounces three or four times. <laughs> and, and Gail did that a few times. I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of that toilet seat slamming down. <laughs> but there's another principle, I call it the gap principle. Um, and it stands for growing apart. And this principle states very simply that by default, two people will grow apart unless they make an effort to grow together. We seem to think that in every other area of life, we need to invest, but not in marriage relationships, not in relationships. We, we just imagine that we can have a fantastic relationship or a fantastic marriage without putting anything into it. If you, you, know, if you want to get fit then you've got to exercise. You've got to make an effort to eat the right food. You've got to make sure that you get enough sleep. If you want to be good at tennis, 
then you need to practice and train. Although it never made much difference in my case, <laughs> I can assure you. If you want your car to work, you need to invest in repairs and maintenance. And yet somehow we imagine that no effort or investment is required to build an excellent relationship. We just throw common sense out of the window. And in a similar vein, why is it that we often take for granted the most significant people in our lives? The people who love us the most. The people who are most committed to us. The people who have done the most for us. You know, if I take Gail for granted, then I fail to properly appreciate her. And usually, it's as a result of over-familiarity. baskets. Um, but with ours, you don't even have to put things into it. All you have to do is kind of throw them towards it. <laughs> Another dynamic that goes hand in hand with taking a person for granted is going through the motions. To go through the motions, there's a definition of it. Often we just end up doing things without enthusiasm or commitment. We start to play act in a way to pretend you know, how often do two people enter into a covenant with one another? They stand at the altar, they've got these passionate, sparkling eyes, and they promise to love and to cherish each other. And they say things like, I give you this ring as a symbol of our marriage covenant, that today I've taken you to be my wife. With my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. And then within a few years... They're play-acting, they're pretending, they're going through the motions, failing to properly appreciate one another as a result of over-familiarity. At one time, a man would probably ride his bicycle 20 kilometers to be with his beloved, or he'd miss the game, but now he finds excuses 
to get home late from work. And when he does he get, get home and he finds his wife cooking supper, instead of staying to chat to her like he used to when they first got married, he heads off to go and catch the World Cup highlights. And then during dinner, he's on his phone, sending messages, receiving messages. I've been reflecting on a scripture from the Song of Songs. And of course, the Song of Songs is all about a relationship between a man and a woman. But it's a picture of God's relationship with us. It goes like this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Now when a person dies and is buried in a grave, the grave will not yield them up. And there is a love like that. A love that will never let you go. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a love that is as unyielding as the grave. Nothing can separate you from it. It will never let you go. There is a love, according to this, that many waters cannot quench. Rivers cannot sweep it away. You know, in the ancient world, the sea was a symbol of death and evil. Just imagine a holy fire that is so infinitely ferocious that it simply cannot be quenched, no matter how much evil and death are poured on it. And there's a love like this. It's a love that is like an unquenchable fire. There's a love for which wealth would be scorned. A love which always tips the scales when you compare it or balance it against any other earthly treasure. And then we read here that there is a love as strong as death. Hebrews 9.27 says that every person is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Nobody can resist death. And there is a love like that. A love that you can never escape. A love that you will never evade. There is a love that is as strong as death. And ironically, this love required death for it to conquer. And the road to that death began like this.
Are you taking a love like this for granted? How can we go through the motions when Jesus went through torture and death? How can we go through the motions when Jesus went down to the depths of hell so that we can go up into the very presence of God? How can we do that, folks? Today I'd like us to reflect on two levels of knowing God. And as we progress through this together, it's my, my passionate prayer that we will move from the one level to the second level, that we won't accept the first level of knowing God because that would not be worthy of the love that has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. In Psalm 62 verse 11, this is what David writes, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O Lord, are strong, and that you, O God, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he's done. At this point, it's significant that David has heard about God. To be precise, he's heard about the love of God and about the power of God. And maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you've been told that God loves you. And perhaps as you watched that video just now, you were overwhelmed by the knowledge that Jesus went through that and so much more because he loves you. And maybe you're starting to suspect because you've heard that God is powerful. You look around at the heavens and the earth and you, you can't get away from the logical conclusion that the universe could not simply have just happened. Everywhere you look, you see the fingerprints of the master designer. You see it in the complexity of the human brain, in the intricacy of the eye, in the wonder of birds and fish migrating thousands of miles and ending up at the precise location of their birth. And if God did create humans uh, and the earth, why, why did he make the universe so large? What was his reason for doing that? I mean, surely if the universe was created as a home for earth and mankind, it's far too massive for that alone. But then maybe you've heard that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So could it be that God created the universe to tell us something about how big he is, about how powerful and majestic he is? So maybe like David, you can say two things I have heard. Two things that I'm starting to suspect. Two things I'm starting to wonder about. That God is strong and that he is loving. But folks, is it enough to have just heard? As we live our lives, there is a yearning that goes beyond simply hearing about. A few questions. Why do we strain towards immortality? through exercise and diet and medicine? Why does the passing of time and the fact that we're aging stress us so much? Why are men in their 40s in denial about aging? Why do they try to compensate with fast cars, trying to find a younger woman? Why do we have an insatiable craving for intimacy and love? Why are we attracted to power? Why do we often feel so empty and sad and dissatisfied? 
And we dull the pain with alcohol or retail therapy or social media or computer games, pornography, holidays, live-in partners, fishing, expensive toys, you name it. Maybe it could be that we are created in the image of God. Could it be that we are created to live forever, that we were actually intended for that? Could it be that we were created for perfect security, perfect intimacy, perfect love, and that the sole purpose of man is to enjoy God? Could that be the case? Could the Bible be right when it says that we were created for God's pleasure, that you, you were created for God's pleasure, to walk with Him in the garden in the cool of the day as it was in the beginning? Let's read verse 1 of Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. If you're thirsty today, allow that thirst to draw you to the well of living water. Start seeking God. God is a person and He created you so that He could enjoy you. He wants to walk with you in the garden according to His original intention and plan. And you will only be satisfied in as much as your relationship with God is restored in all its intimacy and wonder to what it was originally intended to be. The question is, will you earnestly seek God? So many people get born again but then they stop seeking God. They think, I found God. I found Jesus. And they stop seeking. And then they, as time goes on, they, they take the love and the power of God for granted. They start going through the motions. We're just so foolish. We're like a man who receives a magnificent, brand new, top-of-the-range Ferrari, but he refuses to take it out of the, the garage. Refuses to start it up sits in there and pretends to be driving. <coughs> so futile. Imagine that that man was Ayrton Senna. Many say he's the best racing driver that's ever lived. His DNA means that he has the potential to be a superlative racing driver, the best of all time, and yet there he sits in the car. <coughs> After a while, he starts to feel dissatisfied and depressed. He cracks open a beer. And then another, and then another, and then he gets out of the car and he sets up a projector because he thinks if he can project dash cam footage onto the wall of his garage, then it will make sitting in his Ferrari a bit more exciting. So pointless. Folks, it's only the real thing that truly satisfies. And I think we need a reality check today. And I felt that in my own life, the Lord's been giving me a reality check and that he wants me as in a sense, as a, as a prophetic voice to do that for us today. We need a reality check. Are we taking God for granted? Are we going through the motions? Perhaps something else has just filled the screen of your life. But whatever it is that you are earnestly seeking, whatever you thirst for, if it isn't God, it's a counterfeit. You need to take your eyes off the counterfeit and say, You, God, oh my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And if you do that, something remarkable will happen. 
Because you're going to go beyond merely hearing about God to seeing him. Jesus said, now this is eternal life. And when I say seeing God, to see God, I mean um, in the sense to know him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is being in a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. This is eternal life, that they know you. You were created to know God and to enjoy Him forever. Your heart was made to mesh perfectly with God's heart. That's why it's so unsatisfied when you try and mesh it with other things. That's what you were made for, to mesh with God. That is your inheritance. That is your great reward. Do you remember when God came to Abraham? He said to him, Abraham, I am your treasure and your very great reward. That's what he's saying to you this morning. And if we do that, if we start to seek Him, this is what will happen. Notice how David changes from hearing about to seeing in the next psalm. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. God sent Jesus to die in your place, to pay the price for your redemption, so that you can be recreated on the inside according to his original design. That means that you have become a sanctuary, a sanctuary in which God can be worshipped. Have you seen him in the sanctuary? Have you beheld His power and His glory? Because if you haven't, if you've only heard about God but haven't seen Him, if you only know about Him but you don't know Him, you will never declare that your love is better than life. We want to to come to that place, folks, where we are saying, my word, your love, Father God, is better than life. It's better than everything else. And if we're not earnestly seeking God, we'll settle for some kind of second-hand knowledge that we've heard. We'll always be taking God for granted. We'll always be going through the motions. We'll be settling for a form of godliness that denies real power. And how sad that would be, wouldn't it? I just want to be satisfied with the richest of foods. I want to get a taste of God that keeps me coming back for more and more. I just pray that we as a congregation would have a a spark, a fire kindled in our hearts that would warm us. Because folks, if we are at that level of I've heard about your love, I've heard about your power, and we haven't started to earnestly seek God and move to that level, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. We're just going to be dissatisfied with life. And we're going to be absolutely useless Christians. We'll have lost our saltiness. We need to be pressing in, pressing in all day, every day. I love the bit there where it says, And in your name I will lift up my hands. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Folks, in those days you lifted up your hands when you were praying. And so he's talking about the fact that we need to be in constant communion with God. As if we have our hands lifted up in prayer all day. It's like our default setting at any point during the day. 
And so I'd like to, to challenge you this morning to go back to Psalm 62 verse 11 and read, read, it, read through Psalm 63. Read it every morning this week as a prayer. Do you know that that psalm was used by the early church um, as a prayer? They used to pray it regularly. And people in that day and age needed to pray because David was talking about there, about how his life is under threat. People are hunting him down. He's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And they knew that they needed God. We also need God just as much. And we live in just as dry and weary a land. We need that. That, that there's springs of living water to be slaking our thirst. We need that amazing food that will only satisfy in our lives. And so I'd just like to ask um, that if you would like to commit yourself to going to that next level, to, to earnestly seeking God, um, let's stand up together. If you would like to commit yourself to that, and we'll pray this prayer together. You'd like to stand if you want to make that commitment. I think it would be good if we can say it out aloud. So just repeat after me. You, God, are my God. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land. In a dry and parched land. Where there is no water. Where there is no water. And Father, we pray that you would take us on this journey. We know that it's going to continue for eternity. Yeah. We're going to be enjoying you forever. Yeah. There are depths to you that we will never plumb even when we have an eternity to do it in. And we trust and believe that as time goes on, we will be able to say that your love is better than life. We will be able to see that, say that in the sanctuary we have beheld your power and your glory. Yeah. And Father, we just want to be able to praise you as long as we live. And in your name to lift up our hands. Mm. So that we would be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And that with singing lips, our mouths would praise you. Mm. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exciting journey that we're on, folks. Let's keep earnestly seeking the Lord. Let's not go through the motions.